Welcome to the podcast. It's the worst territory in the world. Personalities, history, and other stories. We know you're craving for more knowledge. Let the champions get their glory. It's the worst territory in the world. All right, everybody, welcome in to your favorite time of the week. It is the worst territory in the world. I am your host. Gabe sitting here with Chris and Chris, we have got one heck of an episode this week, slightly different format in where you usually record the interviews. But today we have some someone very special with us that's going to be here the entire episode. Chris, why don't you do the intro on who our special guest is? Well, Gabe, thank you for that uh, awesome introduction. <laughs> I usually do these by myself and it's so much more relaxed and, you know, just well paced, but we'll see how this one goes. Uh, you know, one of my favorite people in professional wrestling is with us today. Uh, I got to meet her. I don't, I've known her almost 15 years, and uh, I've worked with her in multiple uh, companies. But uh, the, the way that I found out about this person was that she was wrestling for Handsome Harley Race and his WLW here in the Midwest. And the ver very first time I saw her, she didn't, I didn't know, you know, we didn't know each other, of course. And she was wrestling in Leavenworth High School in Leavenworth, Kansas. And uh, that's the first time I ever met her. And her name is Lucy Mendez. Lucy, thanks for joining us. Well, thank you so much for having me, you guys. Uh, I don't get to see you as often anymore because you moved to the sunshine state of Florida, uh, mm -hmm. away from, uh, uh, some would call it the armpit of Dodge City and Kansas City and Springfield. <laughs> so you're no longer here anymore. So how's it like? What's it like living in Florida versus Missouri? Oh, my gosh. It's so awesome, you guys. I mean, not to, you know, throw stones out, but it's been it's been great. The weather is freaking amazing. Um, my favorite thing is not having to start my car in the morning, especially during the winter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I have to do that every morning. It sucks. Yeah, it does. <laughs> All right, yeah. I, Lucy, I got, I'm going to have to argue with you. I adopted my daughter from Florida, from the uh, uh, Clearwater area. And I was there during the summer and it was the most miserable time of my life. Weather-wise, like it is, it was humid every single day, mm -hmm. it was like 95 degrees at night. And it was uncalled for. I hate, I, again, I went there <laughs> during the spring and it was wonderful, but mm -hmm. summertime, summertime was absolutely miserable, miserable. Summertime can be very hot. Um, we've we've noticed though that during like the June July time, it will rain for a good hour, so then it kind of gets a little chillier, and then yeah. again, it gets really humid and hot again. So it's kind of like a. I I think I can deal with the the heat to have the nice winters though. That's oh, a good yeah. compromise. Well, yeah, let me like tell you, Gabe, you're, you're absolutely right. The summers in Missouri are just so brisk and cool and nice. I mean, <laughs> I, I walk outside and I'm in a puddle of my own sweat. So I don't know what you're talking about. The difference between those two. I mean, it's horrible here too. Well, it's, it's horrible here, but, but Chris, the humidity there is another level. Oh, it's, wow. it's, 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 it's a, I mean, at least for me, it was a little step above, but um, we're really excited to talk to you today. We've got a lot of ground to cover Chris being the historian of the central States territory. And obviously me and you work together in the NWL. That was our first introduction mm -hmm. to each other. Um, so uh, Chris, why don't you go ahead and uh, fire away and start? Let's uh, let's get this interview underway. Yeah, Lucy. Uh, when I, like I said, when I first met you, I think it was probably, I had to been like 2000, 
2008, 2009, you were wrestling for mm -hmm. Harley at that point. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, I believe at the time it might've just been yourself and Stacey O'Brien, but, but, uh, Miss Natural might've been there as well. But I did want to ask you about how you got started. Uh, you know, you were from, I was throwing shade earlier, but you were, you are from Dodge city, Kansas. How did you get from there and what made you decide to go into professional wrestling, especially a female at the time and the, you know, the, the aughts, it's not exactly like it is today. And you decided to go take lessons from one of the greatest of all time. How'd that all come about? So I have actually been obsessed with wrestling since I was like a five-year-old. Um, and when I turned, so like in my culture, we don't leave home, right? Like that's just something you don't do until you're married. Okay. And um, I think I was about 26, 27. I was miserable living in Dodge City. I knew that I need, I wanted to go to a bigger place. And, and then I ended up in Eldon, Missouri, which is freaking hilarious. <laughs> but um, That's a step up or down? I mean, lateral? Up, right? um, but I did want to do, I wanted to pursue wrestling. If, if anything, just because I just wanted to be like, you know what? I gave it a shot. It worked out or it didn't. Right. Like I just wanted to be able to do it. Um, funny enough, I reached out to Central States Wrestling that was located in Lawrence. And I reached out to a guy named Michael Strider. And he, um, they had a, a school going or some training going on. And by the time that I got to Lawrence, they had already closed down. And what he told me was, if you're looking to pursue this as a long-term thing, or you're really wanting to get up there, then you need to go to Harley's. So Michael Strider was the one that sent me to Harley races. Interesting. Yeah. When you decide to go to Harley race, I mean, you obviously, I know you're a huge macho man, Randy Savage fan. So that means you were watching uh, wrestling back in, you know, the heyday, the golden era of the eighties, they call it that now. Hacksaw um, yeah. Jim Duggan always calls it the golden age of wrestling. So, uh, so you watch, so you saw Harley, I'm assuming, did you watch NWA or were you, were you a WWF girl and you watch Harley as, you know, King Harley race. And that was your first, you know, time seeing him. How, when was that? I was, it was King Harley. I wasn't, um, I didn't have like NWA knowledge until like I actually started training there. And then I was like, all right, I need to study the guy that's obviously training me. Right. So I did my, my, uh, studying on, on old tapes of the NWA and some of his Jap uh, Japan stuff. Okay. So, so you get to, uh, Eldon, Missouri and yes, if you've never been through Eldon, Missouri, it's not too far <laughs> from the Lake of the Ozarks as far as like Osage beach and civilization, but Eldon is its own, uh, little, you know, fiefdom over there. When I used to drive through there, I would see the Harley race wrestling Academy and it was sort of sad when it moved, uh, to Troy, but when you got to Eldon, what was that like? What was that? What you're, you're used to being in the middle of Kansas. So was the living conditions that much different really? No, not really. Like once the first day that I got there, I remember thinking, I think I, I must have turned the wrong way or something. Cause I just didn't think that his school would have been in such a, like a small town. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then once I got to the school and, and kind of, um, because I, I, you know, when I pulled into Eldon, I was like, there's no freaking way he lives here. Like it's so small and <laughs> <laughs> you blink and you, I mean, I, I swear you, I think I passed the school maybe two or three times. And then I was like, okay, I'm lost because I blinked and I missed it. Um, it was really small, uh, but compared to living in Dutch city, it wasn't that, that, that big of a difference. 
Yeah. No. So that so that's yeah. not going to be too horribly bad, different for you. But what was uh, what, so what were your impressions like going in of thinking that Harley Race is going to be like? And what was it like when you actually met him? Because I know that you were one of his favorites at the end of it all. But going in, like, did he did he treat like, you know, female wrestlers any different or was he gruff or what point was he at in his life at that point? So I I was very scared to walk in. I was shitting bricks like walking into the place. Sure. Um, just because you had heard like I heard stories, read stories and whatnot about him. So I I knew what I was getting into, but um he treated everyone the same, whether you were female or male. Um, he expected 110%. And if you weren't giving it to him, he, I remember um the first week that I started training, it was just myself and and uh Amy Henning was there. Okay. And um, it was just the two of us girls, but he expected us to be just as, you know, doing the same things that the boys were doing. And if for whatever reason we were doing drills with one another, it was no girl on girl, you know, you guys have to do the same thing that the boys do. So get in there with one of the boys. And he was equal in, in terms of training. So what was, was he, was he still hands-on at that point or was he basically directing from the sidelines? He was directing from the sidelines. Now, if he had issues with what you were doing inside the ring, he would have you come down to him and then mm -hmm. he would explain it to you down on, on the floor. But he would he wouldn't be in the ring anymore. Did he I give thought. you any kind of Gabe? I, I promise I'll let you talk at some point. Did he give you any kind <laughs> of, uh, you know, like uh, sort of a prep? Did, did he act like a father in a way of sort of like, hey, you're you're joining this business that's male dominated. Did he give you that kind of talk at all? And how'd that go? Oh, yeah. Um, he was very, so I would actually show up to training about an hour prior to when we had to be there. Um, some of the best talks that I ever had with him were, were at that time. He was very much a father figure. He, at least as far as I'm concerned, he taught me how to balance my checkbook. He taught me how to change the oil of my car if I ever needed it. He taught me how to use a, um, the air gadget thing for my tires um the funny story is that he was one day he was so mad at me because i was using the gps to get to him from dodge and he was like no and he pulled out this big old like map and he highlighted it for me <laughs> you're taking too long you need to go here and i was like oh dear lord but yeah things like that he was very much a father figure to me for the years that i was there was it one of those things i mean obviously you being such a huge wrestling fan and coming in and seeing I mean, Harley, Harley race is Harley race. That's almost akin to Ric Flair to some people or a higher. Um, mm -hmm. Were you starstruck? Was it hard to get that first conversation out with him or um, even get in the ring that he was managing or, or training in? Was there a kind of like a pretty high intimidation factor going in front of Harley race? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, he was, if you were ever in front of Harley and I think especially during that eight, like that, era he was still very intimidating i mean he would get up and you would you were terrified he could whoop anybody's ass even at that age you know and i remember the first time that i actually like laughed um i would come in yes so no sir you know those kind of conversations um but one day i had some shaving cream delivered from a friend of mine that used to sell slumber parties i don't know if you're familiar with those they sell like sex toys. And oh yeah. The little, uh, yeah, I've, I've heard of those. Sure. Yeah. Um, so she sends me a, some shaving cream that it's called coochie. 
Right. And she wrote on she wrote on the box Lucy's coochie, and it was delivered to to my apartment. Now at that point in time, we were all the wrestlers were kind of living in the same complex. So you know, uh, I had one wrestler that was that lived catty corner from me, and he picked up the box for me, took it to the school. Well, long story short, I get to the school and BJ at that time, she was still living and she was like, Harley wants to see you. And I walked in and he says, he picked up the box from the floor. Like, you want to tell me why you got coochie delivered? And I started <laughs> laughing my ass off. And that was the first time that I was like, okay, he can, he's a jokester. So right. I, you know, and I think it was like maybe my second week being at the school, second or third week. Um, but after that, it was a lot easier to, to talk to him. I love that someone named BJ delivered your coochie. That's, uh, hey. that's, that's good. Uh, anyone, any female named BJ, I'm like, don't you want to go by like something else? Uh, but anyway, um, say one thing I thought was interesting, Lucy, is that I think it was cool that you were able to move and go to Eldon. The, the, the thing I can say from an outsider watching that the, the school was in Eldon was that you could move to a place sort of like going to college a little bit, right? No one's mm -hmm. from Eldon. That was really there. Although <laughs> I take that back. Trevor was there. There were some people from there, but uh, I know Trevor wasn't necessarily always from there. So I take that back, but uh, people have let people have stayed in Eldon, I should say. But when you went to Eldon, I thought it was cool because it was like you were going away and you did live together and you all sort of had side jobs at Chili's or wherever else you worked and like it was yeah. like um, you guys sort of came together like a football team going to training camp and I thought that was a, a cool uh, thing for you to be able to do as opposed to just like hey I'm training uh, you know five minutes away from my house here and you know it, I'm just gonna go home and sleep in my own bed tonight for the rest of my life <laughs> you know uh, did, it, didn't you see some uh, maybe not at the time but looking back don't you think that was a positive oh god yes it was a huge positive I think um, for being a, especially a female, you know, you, you move away from home and from family and whatnot. Um, those guys and, and Amy took me in and they were extremely nice. Um, I worked at, at Chili's with a few of them and they were actually bonsai was the one that got me my job at Chili's. And, um, it was just really nice to have people around, like if, in any situation, like, Hey, my car broke down. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll come and get you for training or we'll come get you for work or, um, when we didn't go home for like the Thanksgivings or, uh, any other holiday, you know, we were always at Harley or BJ's, you know, Harley and BJ's or, um, even after training, we would hang out. Um, we'd go bowling, we'd go, um, you know, out to eat, whatever, but we would always be, we always hung out with each other. It was a nice little I dare say a little family of ours, you know? Sure. I've always saw that about like, and you, you can see that today and sometimes it's a positive and sometimes it was a negative because you guys were in your own little kingdom over there. So some <laughs> of the knock on like the WLW people is that they thought they only worked their shows and that they were too good to work other Indies. And, you know, you sort of went through yeah. that period because when I was bringing up Metro pro in Kansas city and I was starting to use some Harley's guys, that was at a time where uh, Harley had sort of like, loosen the reins of like being able to just have his guys work his shows i remember it was a little intimidating because i was like am i supposed to call harley and ask if i can use his guys because you know sort of some people before me were sort of set to do that you know so yeah. i didn't really have to do that and sometimes those guys were more than willing to do it and sometimes they thought like other indies weren't quite up to you know harley's league so they didn't do it and they sort of had that reputation yeah i think from what my understanding was that we weren't 
I guess nobody really asked either. Like, can I go work here? Can I go work there? I don't remember that ever coming up in, in training or anything like that. You just worked for Harley. Sure. I remember when I got the message from you, I was like, you mind checking with him first? Because I'm, I wasn't sure at that time, like, <laughs> <laughs> can I, can I work over here? And I remember uh, asking him. And I, at that time, I believe uh, Trevor and Steve were already going to Metro. So he was like, you, you'll have somebody there to be watching over you. So you're, you're totally fine. Sure. Bull Schmidt. I mean, there's a lot of guys, mm-hmm. big guys there from there that would have been good yeah. brothers for you. Um, but going back, just historically speaking, before we keep going on with Harley stuff, you know, with your training, what, what did Harley talk? You know, this podcast is called the worst territory in the world because, uh, you know, uh, for many reasons, but there's long gaps between towns. It's sort of low population. You know, it wasn't pay wasn't great. I mean, what did Harley ever say about central States and Kansas city mm-hmm. or just Missouri in this area in general? Did he, did he ever tell you stories or talk about his opinion of, you know, why he decided to stay in the Midwest as a, as a guy that was an international star? You know, he really never, like, we never had that conversation. Um, he was a big Missouri guy though. Like he loved the central States. And, um, I mean, you could just tell he would have us watch some, some of the older stuff that when he worked in the central States area, um, there were times when he like, we would study his matches with him, which was freaking amazing. You know, like now that I like look back at it, that I got to watch a lot of, um, central state history with him and he would go over the matches and he would tell us what he thought about the matches. He would tell us what he thought about the opponents and, um, that kind of stuff. But I never really like got into like those deep conversations of why didn't you go anywhere else? Why did you stick to the, like the Midwest area? So when you were talking about um, the trainees at the time being this tight knit family, and by the way, I was a chili head for like off and on for like 10 years. I was a bartender, (laughs) did the whole thing over at Chili's in California. Um, Who So you guys kind of alluded to it. Who were some of the people that were in that training camp that was part of that tight knit family? So at that time, you had Bonsai, who's now a uh, ref at the WWE. Um, it was uh, the trainer at that time was uh, Jason Dupree, um, or I think it, he went by uh, Stevie Anthony. Um, Denti Moore was there. Tommaso Ciampa was there. Wow. Um, Amy Hennig. Um, and then you had Richie Steamboat, Reed Flair, uh, Brian Breaker. Um, what am I missing? And then that's kind of like around the, the time when like Darren Gamble and uh John West or Webb showed up. Um, yeah, it was, and you guys were all, and those are some of the people that were all living, working. We were all, the- yep, we were all okay. living in, in the same in the same area. It was a wow. kind of like a, a, a housing situation where, where we heard Harley's wife kind of set it up for us. You would come in and she had your apartment ready and then you would just, you know, have to find work outside of of what Harley would pay you to, to work his shows. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was, uh, you know, some of the names you threw out there, I, I had not forgotten, but I remember with the steamboats, the second generation guy, a lot of people, you said, Amy Hennig, 
you know, that was the kind of credentials that you got, you know, as far as people get, be, sending their, you know, their uh, grandfathers or fathers that wrestled would send their grandkids or kids to Harley's place. I mean, that's what uh, that's that's the kind of clout Harley had. And at the time, Lucy, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, there's so many like podunk little wrestling schools now <laughs> that are run by nobodies. But uh, but what about like uh, then that was a huge deal. Harley race. Like what else was even comparable at the time? I don't, I really don't think there was anything else. I mean, besides uh, the Samoans, I don't think there was anybody yeah. else that was running a, a school like, like that. Yeah. This especially um, especially Dory, out here. Yeah. Probably Dory Funk in Florida. I take that back. Yeah. Uh, the there Samoans yeah. were, the Samoans were in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. They had Harley in Missouri. I mean, they're just, yeah. you know, I'm sure there were some that were, had some, you know, pipelines and, you know, um, Marty Bell trained up at uh, Monster Factory. Johnny Rods. Johnny Rock, Rods. Right? Oh yeah. Rods. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He was a Johnny Rod. She was a Johnny Rods. And then you had some, I'm sure, in California. But the point is, you could probably have 10 or less that were like anywhere near a level of, you know, accreditation that they were looking for at that point. So that's why mm -hmm. going to Harley's was such a big deal. And you rubbed shoulders with all those guys. And 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 Lucy, some of them made it. Some of them didn't. Um, and, you know, some of the ones that came from the pedigree. I mean, you uh, you obviously had a much longer career in wrestling than than some of these people that had a dad or, or mom that were really big in the wrestling. Did you see that? Were you surprised by some? Some of the people that got there and were you who were some of the guys that didn't make it you thought would have um i for sure i mean obviously with what happened reed wasn't able to but um i i know richie had gotten signed there for a little while um i'm actually surprised uh dupree didn't just because he was and i guess he's not a second generation but i always felt like he had a really good look and he was he, jacked he was great he had a great look he could do promos and whatnot. And um, I think he would have been the one that I was the most shocked that I didn't make it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, Amy Hennig, she, she, I mean, you could tell she was a Hennig, you know I mean? And, mm -hmm. and uh, her grandfather was tag partners with uh, Harley back in the day. And so, um, you know, was that did Curtis Axel ever go through there? He did. He actually was before my time though. Okay. okay. So, yeah. so is it Henning or Hennig? Hennig. Hennig. Okay. So I, I didn't I didn't know that. So that was Kurt's daughter, Amy. Yes. What what ended up happening to her? I never heard that she was training before. She she worked for a few years at Harley's and then she um she got married to another wrestler. Okay. Uh, and then they they kind of just you know put wrestling in behind them. Mm -hmm. I believe they're they're in Minneapolis now with their little family and oh, doing nice. good. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, there's some big names that went through there. I mean, that was yeah. when, again, that was when it was a big, you know, Harley at the time, Lucy, something else that you got to be a part of with Harley and being just around him was that uh, every show, he seemingly he had uh, Bret Hart, Terry Funk, Roddy Piper. I mean, you, you were in this era there where all these guys were coming in and you were getting to meet these and like, and not only just as a fan, is it cool, but obviously just in the business, talking with them, driving them, being around them, you got, I mean, before you even did anything before you were, you know, what high twenties, you were able to see all these people. I mean, do you have any specific stories of anyone you got to meet that was really cool? Um, well, for me, it was Bret Hart because I was a huge Bret Hart fan as a kid. Um, so getting to meet him was freaking awesome. Um, Roddy Piper was a, crack up um one of my jobs during the time that he was there was like driving him from one place to another wow. and getting his drinks and you know just making sure that he was okay and um he was just it was 
a lot of fun. And I mean, if you would have like told six year old me one day you're going to be <laughs> getting drinks for freaking Roddy Piper or sitting next to Bret Hart as he's critiquing your magic, it was just surreal. Um, Ricky Steamboat was able to um, agent one of our matches for one of Harley's anniversary shows. And that was just mind blowing to me. Wow. Wow. You know, incredible. Getting to work with someone like that and taking direction from someone like that. I remember he, he, um, wanted us to do a tower of doom because he was, this was prior to like the girls actually like doing more things in, in the ring. And he's like, I never see girls doing that move anymore. And so like, I remember thinking I am terrified of jumping off the the top rope. I've always been. And when he was like, you're going to be at the one at the top because you're the lightest one. I was like, Oh damn it. But I was like, all right, Steamboat told me I needed to do this. I'm going to do it. Of course, was, you gotta you gotta do something when he tells you to. Yeah. Was, was there ever a point when you were, um, you know, training at Harley's that you had this vision of being? You definitely did. You want to definitely go more of the wrestler route, or were you like, I'll do anything. I'll be a valet. I'll be a manager. Because we saw you kind of as both in the NWL. Was there a certain trajectory that you definitely wanted to head it uh, head in that direction when you were at Harley's? So I really wanted to be the wrestler, you know, Um, I, I think that I was open to doing a lot more stuff because, you know, the more hats you wear, the more valuable you are. Um, So I was totally okay wherever I was placed, as long as I got to be, you know, part of the wrestling business. Um, I, I liked working more like as a a performer, um, as a wrestler. But I was okay with whatever opportunity came my way. Did you see any of the women in the, me and uh, Chris had a conversation a couple of weeks ago when I kind of, we have this segment at the end of the show. Was there a particular uh, female wrestler that you had seen growing up that you maybe wanted to emulate your style after? So I am a huge Sherry Martel fan. Huge Sherry Martel fan. Um, And like I grew up with her already being like more of like the manager, like during her, you know, managing Sherry Sherry era. Yeah. But I did a lot of like watch a lot of her older tapes and stuff like that. And when she would work and I thought she was freaking amazing. Amazing. And then later on, you know, Alondra blaze or uh, Medusa came aboard. So then I started watching some of her stuff. So yeah, I was always a huge fan of, of that. Um, I, I personally wanted to do it because I always fell in love with, you know, the Elizabeth of being like beautiful and, you know, all dressed up and whatnot, but also have that aspect of Sherry where I could be a bad bitch if I wanted to. Yeah. 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 (laughs) I think Sherry is probably the greatest all around female ever. I mean, just with everything she did, wrestler, manager, promo, you know, just in that, especially in that era where she could just act and overact and had the makeup. And it was just great. I mean, she was perfect for what she did. I I saw this, I saw this clip of her recently doing reenacting the Shawn Michaels theme with Kurt Angle. And I was like, even at that era, she was, you could tell a, she was stoked to be there and she was killing it. I was like, yes. I mean, she was the best. She really was. She was awesome. I was, uh, Ace and I were watching uh, t- tapes of when he was working and I can't remember where he was working, but Sherry was managing his opponent mm-hmm. and she choked him and kissed him and something. And I was like, oh my God, you got to kiss Sherry Martell. You never <laughs> told me this? Like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> 
Okay, yeah. so you mentioned you mentioned your husband, Ace Steel. When was the first Ace Steel also went through Harley? He didn't start with Harley, but he got some finishing stuff, refining stuff from Harley. Uh, when did you first meet Ace? And when I now you're married. I know how you got married, but <laughs> when did you first meet Ace? <laughs> I met Ace, I want to say like sometime in 09. Um, he okay. came into the show for for Harley, and that's the first time that I met him. Um, he was going to the school like sporadically to you know either train himself or he would take the time and ask if we wanted to work on something with him and um he did train us here and there and that's how we that's how we met and then I actually started to he was always very intimidating so I never really like talked to him outside of like you know like the the wrestling thing um it wasn't until I worked with him at Metro that I was like oh he's actually nice (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so if you if you had uh, I know what you're gonna say so I don't even know what to ask this but if a steel was like uh, looking at you with those killer eyes and you're down an alleyway and you see Harley race on the other side staring you down which way do you go? Oh God! Um, I think I would go more towards Harley. What? I think. <laughs> really? I think, um, yes. I you know I think Ace. I know he can still run. Um, at least Harley, I think I could like outrun him. Oh, okay. That's hilarious. I guess that's a fair answer. I should have it said is. there's no physical impairment. They're both in the prime of their life. They both look yeah. really intimidatingly scary. I mean, like a steel does have the, uh, the crazy eyes that everyone talks about. And then Harley has, you know, he can, he can knock you out in like half the second thing. So yeah. Not that Ace can't do that, but um, okay. Well, you're just around a lot of intimidating men, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, let's talk about when you, so, you know, you, you work, you start working for me in 2010 for Metro Pro Wrestling in Kansas City. And was that, that was basically the first time you really um, got out of the sort of the WLW loop, wasn't it? Yes, it was. That was the first time. Okay. So when you started wrestling there, I I guess just overall looking back through your WLW Metro pro, and uh, I know you did resistance pro in Chicago. You did, you did a bunch of others after that, that ball started rolling, but uh, what did you think of like the central States as far as you get to meet all these independent wrestlers when you go to these shows that are from the East coast, West coast, South, North, whatever. Um, What did, did you, what did you, what do you think about the Midwest versus the other wrestler territories that you had come across? Did you think it was, did you think it was, um, you know, I have my thoughts on the Midwest versus everywhere else. What were your thoughts? Um, I always felt like the Midwest, we were more old school. Yeah. In the old school mentality versus um, every, like every other wrestler that I've met outside of our little bubble just seemed to have all these like more, um, I guess, new school mentality of things. And I would always go back to like, what would Harley say right now? What would Harley do right now? What would he tell me to do right now? Because I felt like um, working. I also think like when it came to psychology, when I would work with other women, our psychologies were somehow different. And I never understood how or why that would be if we were doing the same thing. You know, we're still wrestling. We're still having a match here. Why is how I was trained different from how you were trained. But I mean, I guess everybody was different at that point. I loved getting to meet people from everywhere, especially like when we would work with you, it was, um, 
I can honestly say, and not just because you're on the phone, but <laughs> working working Metro, I think, was my favorite part ever. Um, I got to meet a lot of awesome people. I got to work with a lot of talented women. I got to meet a lot of talented men and, and uh, learn from them. Um, and you, you kind of get to take a little piece of everybody and kind of make it your own. Does that make sense? Sure, sure. Um, so that was always awesome to to be able to do being able to like take what i what i took from harley's and um be able to still use it with a little tweak from something that i learned from the east coast something that i learned from the west coast people and kind of make it into my own repertoire that's what all the that's what all the great wrestlers do they steal a little bit here and there and that it's just more obvious nowadays because you know internet and everything else but uh that's what everyone did to get better and uh that's why i thought it was cool to to be able to do that on the independence and you know pick up little things uh i do think midwest and kansas city obviously has a history of being completely old school too old school for mm -hmm. many uh past uh you know the the late 80s early 90s continuing to sort of run that way uh which i think is cool it makes us different it makes us a throwback and a lot of people like that but uh when you went into metro pro uh you know metro pro is like uh obviously special to me just because it was something that i got to work on you know my it was my baby at the time but it was fun because you you know i only had in the midwest you only had a handful of female wrestlers that you could really bring in on a regular basis they're just you know now that the boom of, of women's wrestling has only really happened in my opinion in the last you know 10 years or so. I mean, it, it was probably building about the time that you were working in the, you know, 2010 ish area. It was building, but at the time there weren't, there just were not a lot of trained female wrestlers. So there was uh, basically the ones that I used on a regular were all Harley girls. It was you and yeah. uh, Stacy O'Brien and, uh, mm -hmm. and Miss natural, natural who, yeah. who we got, we got who we talked out of retirement basically to come back <laughs> and, and uh, see, you know, that, that, those were fun. We had like uh, we had, you know, we tried to have, you know, I always think it's, I think what the girls bring to the table that the guys don't necessarily based on the audience is obviously mm -hmm. sex appeal. And mm -hmm. I thought the girls that we used had could have sex appeal, but also, you know, we let them do athletic things as well, which I think is the best. I don't know, best combination. I don't know if that necessarily is the same now. You know, I think it's turned into purely athletic. And uh, that's not just me being like some uh, sexist pig here. I just think, you know, when your demographic is what it is, you know, um, yeah. you just, I play towards the demographic. I have no real care going into it, what I'm going to do, to be honest with you. No, and I, you know, I, I don't take offense to any of that. I'm a girl, you know, I remember, uh, I, I don't remember if it was Steamboat or uh, Road Dog that was like, you guys don't have to go out there and kill yourself during your match and, and do a million things. You guys are already different from the rest of the card. Sure. You're, you're already something different than what they're going to see the rest of the night. You don't have to go do crazy bumps and do crazy things for them to pop. You're already, you know, different. Um, I agree with you. I think sex appeal is something that, um, you know, like, I want to say I strive for, but I wanted to make sure that I looked my best when I was out there and that um, I brought something different to to the show. Sure, I think most of the most of the guy fans were really big Lucy Mendez fans back in the day. I think. Oh, well, so. thanks. Um, <laughs> well, and, and you know, and especially for you, you had something so unique—not just in the independence all across the country, but 
there wasn't a lot of Latin women in, especially in the Midwest at no. the yeah. time. So, I mean, you, you definitely had a, a different appeal than a lot of the people out here. Is there, was there any kind of, did you ever feel any kind of type of pressure or any sort of uh, social positioning as far as being a Latin woman in professional wrestling, especially in the Midwest where you had to, uh, was there an uphill, uphill battle? Was it any different? Did you feel any different? You know, I really didn't. I always felt like I knew I was different than, than the other girls that I was sure. working with. So I, and I never felt like there was any like real competition because we were all so different. Right. You know, even um, after because when, when I first started, it was just Amy and I. Well, Amy had she I mean, she looked just like Kurt Henning in female version. <laughs> wow. So I mean, she already had that, you know, um, she was already different from that. And then I was a Hispanic girl. Um, and then Becca Swanson came around and I don't know if you're familiar with her, but she was like the strongest woman in the world at that time. Um, so, I mean, she was freaking jacked. She brought the Nicole um, Bass appeal. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So again, the three of us were totally different. Um, Becca left, Amy left, Stacy came through and then, you know, you had the Irish girl and the Mexican girl. Okay. Um, and then natural looked different as well. Like, so I was never really, um, there was I really never noticed anything different other than we were all different. We all brought something different to the table. Um, I don't really think there was much like competitiveness when it came to like the three of us or the four or five of us that were there at one point or another. Um, because you guys all filled a different, a different, we filled a different role. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then um, honestly, I think the, the finest part was when I came to the NWL and then I had another Spanish speaking girl in the office that I was like, sweet, I get to. <laughs> yeah. Now none of us know what you're saying and you're talking crap yeah, on all of us. And then, and then, yeah. you had, and, and then you, it was the first, it was probably the first time that you had a specific Latina gimmick with the Carolina Esmeralda Griselda Rod. Did I get yeah. that right? Carolina Griselda. You did. Yeah, there you Carolina go. Carolina Griselda Esmeralda Rodriguez. Yeah, there you go. There you yeah, go. let's let's transition to NWL. Uh, so that was so you know, you you know the whole story. We've talked about NWL on a couple episodes already, Lucy. Just talking about sort of the formation of the league and like some of the full time roster as far as the wrestlers. We talked about some of the office and. And, um, you know, that, that, uh, the office changed a lot throughout the entire course of it, uh, of the one and a half years, but, uh, <laughs> you know, it seemed a lot longer than one and a half years. It really did. But, um, let's like when I don't remember my first, uh, mention of this to you. So what is your recollection of me coming to you and saying like, Hey, we got this guy. Yes, his first name really is Major, and he wants to uh, have this company. But how, NWL, how did you – do you remember hearing about that for the first time? Because I do not remember talking to you about it at the very first meeting. You told me about it at the um, baseball show. Okay, at the baseball show, a dreamer. And so, okay, yeah, okay. Yes. And that's you when they were there. Me, yeah, they were there, and you um, you introduced me to him there. And then afterwards, you were kind of telling me what what the plans were. Okay. Well, I mean, obviously, you know, you know how it went in the rise and fall of that company. But what was your what's your overall take on your your time at the NWL as far as just a, you know, a participant in the ring, but also a person behind the stage as well? I think NWL gave me so much knowledge of the business, um, not just um, I think I grew as a performer. And I think that 
not just wrestling wise, but getting to see like the backstage of, of it all. Um, knowing like the promotional side of things, because that was, that was kind of my role in the office of like, Hey, how are we going to promote this? What, what audience are we trying to target coming into each town that we were in? Um, but learning that side of it, growing as a performer, working, getting to work TV is a huge thing. And I know like we did it in, in Metro, but working at NWL, I felt was more of a, um, like an actual like shoot job, you know, it was like, that was our job was to sure. be out on TV and stuff. So that really took it from, um, just being a hobby on the weekends to, Oh shit, this is my actual job. My job is to go out there and give it my best and hope the audience likes it. Um, and then, well, I mean, I ended up with a really great guy after that. So no pun intended. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was, so you know, coming into the NWL, you, you had a job behind the scenes. You were part, you were on screen as well doing the, the foundation thing, which I think is one of the groups that's super underrated. That's actually going to stand the test of time. Such a great run with uh, the foundation in the NWL. Tell us about, you know, what did you feel like when, you know, we all kind of, me and Chris have talked about hitting the, or I've talked about hitting the wrestling jackpot or the lottery by getting hired and making a full-time living in the NWL, what was the, the, what was the thought? Like when you heard we were closing, was it like, Oh, back to the grind. Was it, what do I do now? Or did you, did you feel like this kind of set you in the right trajectory? I was devastated to yeah. be honest with you. Yeah. Um, but I remember, <laughs> I think when, when after major told us what, you know, what was going to go down, um, a couple of us went to a bar that was like across the street Mm -hmm. And I remember Strider saying, do you, do you remember that scene from Goodfellas when, uh, <laughs> <laughs> when Hill is like coming out and he's like, I'm just a jabroni like everybody else or something like whatever his speech was like. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I, I yeah, that, that really hit. Like, it was like, oh crap. Now I got to go back and be a regular schmo like everybody else. <laughs> Yeah, it sucked. I mean, uh, that whole the whole ending, that whole ending sucked. And uh, speak, I didn't talk about it earlier, but like you and Marty Bell, uh, when you were you know doing your Spanish, like you know, which is burials of people in the office. <laughs> uh, you're you two girls are like two of my favorite girls in the world, and I'm glad I met you guys both there. Um, I had known you, I knew you longer though, Lucy. You always have that, but. Yes. Um, but yeah, you know, that the company itself, Lucy, uh, you know, as much as uh, it was here and gone, like Haley's Comet, like I still and Gabe and I talk about this all the time and I could talk about the NW all the time as far as it was just like the coolest thing ever. It was something that came out of nowhere. It was something that I never expected to ever be in wrestling at that to that extent. Again, I always thought it would just be like a, a Metro Pro thing. And who knows how much longer I was going to do that because we were all getting older. I was having kids, all of this stuff going on mm -hmm. in my life. And the NWL comes around and. You know, I was trying to get all of my good friends involved in it that had done stuff as, you know, and uh, and then there were some others that weren't good friends that got involved. But anyway, um, but the uh, but the end of it was like uh, looking back years later when it's not sadness, you know, clouding over all of it. I mean, it was just like one of the greatest couple of years of my life. They were. It really was. It was a really good time. I remember like when, when you and I had had that conversation, I was working in uh, at resistance at the time. And one of the guys, I was like, kind of like telling them like what, 
what you had plans or like what the plans were and whatnot. And I remember him just telling me like, you know, live it up, like do, do it as long as you can for as long as it lasts. So make sure that you take as much knowledge in as you possibly can. Um, you know, just go for it because you're going to be able to do something that a lot of people wish they would do, but don't have the balls to do. And at that point, I mean, I had a job job and making decent money when you called and were like, Hey, we, we have a back position for you. And I was like, fuck it, let's do it. Because sorry, can I curse on this? Yeah. It's fine. Oh, okay. Yeah, nobody, nobody, nobody You've already ruined our parental. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah. And, and and nobody. Uh, there's like maybe a, Thomas Pacheco's listening to this. Maybe I don't know. There's a. Few. I never curse. <laughs> I never curse either in my life. So thanks for doing that. So no, but I mean honestly, like it was it was the greatest time ever. I had a a beautiful. I had a great time, and I uh, anybody that would talk crap, I remember. Oh. Finally, getting a lecture from major, like you, you got to stop because I would go balls to the walls. Oh, I would yeah. cut anybody for Chris guy, by the way, <laughs> or for Chris Goff. I mean, I feel I the mean, same way. I mean, we, we, I remember Lucy, actually, I saw someone, uh, Marty brought up the video clip of you hitting me with a kendo stick in the office. Um, <laughs> And it was the first time I ever took a, uh, uh, the first and only time I ever took a kendo stick like <laughs> shot and you didn't even hit me that hard and that shit hurt. But, uh, <laughs> But what I remember the most is uh, the camaraderie, the bond that we all formed in the office and like complete with Chris Goff's 9 a.m. promo where he would come yeah. and, and just <laughs> rip, rip somebody, a new anus, <laughs> you know, and then me, you and Marty and all the other office people cutting on Josh or cutting on some of the other or cutting on each other. I mean, we yeah. had such such a good time and then like i remember all of us getting sick when the dust was in the office from oh those- god when the globetrotters were in there <laughs> yeah the, yes. the globetrotters are fixing the bathroom for six months yeah i remember that <laughs> dude we got so sick and we were joking about it before we were like this is not good like we're inhaling all of this and this all this yeah, yeah all of us yes. got an upper respiratory infection or bronchitis or something like, but it was such a special moment. And I think that's why me and Chris love talking about the NWL so much is because it really was lightning in a bottle. It was the formation of some really good friendships. And like you said, you, I mean, literally, how long was it after NWL closed that you and Ace like made things official and, and, and got married? Like, Well, we, we made things official maybe a month after, after like it closed down. Okay. And then um, I ended up moving in maybe six months after that. And then yeah. we got married like a year later yeah it wasn't wow. too too long yeah man that's crazy yeah, yeah and, it, was really uh, it, was, it was cool i'm glad hey i'm glad that two of my good friends got married it's cool all, yeah. all thanks to you goff because i'm the matchmaker <laughs> I, I you're the magic put that on my resume after this <laughs> yeah not that you need a resume because you you own you own a successful wine business at the peculiar peculiar i can't peculiar thank you you're Have a you you're that a real estate why, agent. You should know yeah. town names. That's <laughs> why we wanted to get married there because we were like, you know what? He's the one responsible for us ending up getting, to, you know, getting together. So he's. Yeah, I don't know if you know that, Gabe. They were going to get married at the Peculiar Winery, but then this thing happened called the pandemic and ruined everything. 
your winery Everything. is your winery is actually beautiful. And if I ever get enough money, I would love to have a client party there, but I don't have enough clients and, or I don't have enough money to do that. So there you go. Oh, you're gonna have to pronounce it right. If you're going to come there. I but said peculiar, you <laughs> bastard. Anyway, anyway, Lucy, I appreciate you coming on today. Uh, yes. You're one of my favorites that ever worked with, worked with me, worked for me, whatever at Metro pro and NWL. And I just think, you, of course, I know how much you loved Harley race and how, how much he meant to you as, like you said, a father type figure in your life. And you just have like a, uh, at such a young age, you have such a great, awesome, you know, uh, history just in the wrestling business, what you've done so far. Oh, well, thank you guys. I appreciate it. Um, Gabe, it's always been a pleasure to see you again and getting to kind of interact again after so long. And of course, Chris, you're, you're always going to be my boss. So, <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that Lucy, because last time I saw you was at the CSW show when Ace was working there yeah. and, you were, and mm -hmm. you were on, and you were on crutches and that leads me to what we, this is not the only time we're going to talk. We are actually going to have a part two interview with you um, where we will discuss current happenings. Um, so, uh, and you were on crutches during uh, the, the latter half of this year. And we'll talk about all that kind of stuff in our next episode with you, Lucy. But if I could, do you have, like maybe one Harley race story, one or one uh, particular memory that you, you tend to think about a lot when you're thinking about Harley. Um, with him, I, you know, I, I think we, Ace and I think about him every day. Um, whether it's that the things that we say, obviously we have his, his memorabilia posted all over our, our walls. Um, but one of the biggest things that I remember about him was, um, some of the stories and some I can share and some I can't because, you know, with the times things have changed. <laughs> um, <laughs> and some of the stories are not appropriate anymore. Um, but whenever we get up in the morning now, of course, age has kicked in and we're kind of like slow moving and stuff like that. But he's, he used to always tease us whenever we were doing something stupid in the ring. He would always be like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> you're going to end up walking like me before you're supposed to. And so now anytime we walk around the house and I see Ace like limping or whatever, I'm like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> Uh, well, that's an, that's an awesome memory. Uh, could you please recap Harley with the midget in the car? Yes. Oh, my God. Okay. So. Oh, you um, will tell that. Okay, cool. I will tell that story. Why not? Um, no, I can't. Is it inappropriate? Oh, I don't know. Are they, I don't think you can say midget. Uh, hey, hey, that's it's fine. We can edit it out and we'll pretend like this never happened. Go for it. Little person. Um, so there was a, a part. I think we were going to St. Louis and it was. Um, it was myself and Stacy in the car and with him, we were driving with him and it was kind of quiet. You know, Stacy was a sitting up front and she's usually kind of shy. So um, one of a potty breaks, I was like, I'm switching, I'm going to the front. And I started asking or playing uh, 20 questions with him. And at some point I was like, can I ask you dirty questions? Is that okay? <laughs> and he was like, sure. Why not? Are you on a note, kid? So at one point I was like, what is the most fascinating sex story you can tell me? Like, what was the most fascinating sex you've ever had? 
And he proceeds to tell me about the time that he was um, having sexual intercourse with a little person. Um, <laughs> and I believe on the highway, like they yeah. were parked somewhere and a cop pulled him over or like, you know, knocked on the window and was like, what are you doing in there? And Harley was, you know, being Harley was like, I'm trying to get off, but you're, <laughs> you're interrupting me. So that was a fascinating, uh, that was a fascinating ride. I learned a lot from the boss and now I wish I would have recorded it all just oh, to, of course. you know, play back some of this stuff or written a, like written it down as he's like giving me all these answers. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I love Harley Race stories because they're, you know, he's legendary for being just a tough guy, but also just, you know, being a crazy driver, you know, not oh, even God. crazy, just fast, fast driver. Probably he was the fast, he was, Yes, he was a fast driver. Um, he did not like to stop. So if you had to pee, you better have a really good bladder because he was not about to stop for you to go to the bathroom. Um, I remember this time we were going, I believe, to Oklahoma for a uh, break. I think it was like in Breaker's hometown. And we were like on the far left lane and he just crossed over all of the lanes to get to the like to the exit because we were about to miss it. And I just remember like closing my eyes and just doing like tighten it up because I thought we were going to get hit. That was sure. it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm dying right here. This is it. I remember making it back from St. Louis <clears throat> with speaking of fast drivers with major based in, in literally oh, yeah. three hours and some change. Holy and like, there's no, I've never in my driving, I don't, I get home probably about right about three hours, 45 minutes, three, four hours. I swear to God, we were home in like three hours and like 10 minutes. It was, uh, I know, I know fast drivers are all about the same. They, they like, they're very calm when they're going like a hundred because I know Harley was probably like, didn't flinch or whatever when he was going like triple digits, but like major was the same oh. thing, Gabe. Like I tell the story before, like we were at, we were in pontoon beach, Illinois and major was driving through this little town with like, stop, you know, like just flashing yellow lights or whatever, but it was a small town and there was like, you know, a, a, you know, Barney Fife could have pulled him over in this little town and he's, He's sucking on his vape pipe, like, and I look down at the, and it's like 107, right? And so I take a picture of it and send it to my wife, and I'm like, I hope I live, you know, because like I don't know what's, I've never seen a, I've never seen someone drive like this through a town. <laughs> it's not a highway, it's a town. But anyway, yeah. I'm sure Harley was like that as well. Oh, he was. God. He he just didn't. Yeah, it always. You know, I actually do have another funny story. I got pulled over. Um, I mean, we did a show in Dodge City. And then we were going to do a show in, in another town in Kansas. And so we were kind of caravanning. I got pulled over um, and the cops, you know, asking my information and whatnot. Harley sees me getting pulled over. So he pulls over in front of me and classic Harley. He gets out, starts smoking a cigarette. And the cop was like, do you do you know this person? And I was like, yeah, he's uh, he's my boss. He's just making sure I'm OK. And you kind of look, you know, kept looking over and he's like, is that? is that Harley race? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. <laughs> and, um, he let me off. He let me off with a warning. So that was good. Uh, well, I mean, I would, I would hope that would still, you know, bring you something <laughs> that, you know, Harley race, but, but anyway, Lucy, yeah, I, I appreciate everything you've told us today. Yes. We're going to have a part two with you coming up here, but thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Oh, thank you guys so much for having me. It was so great to talk to you and reminisce. 
Yeah, thank you, Lucy. And we will uh, we'll see you back here in just a little bit. Thank you all for listening <laughs> to The Worst Territory in the World. Don't forget to leave us a five-star rating if you feel so inclined. And uh, tell a friend about it, and we appreciate all your support. Thank you so much, folks. We will see you next week right here on The Worst Territory in the World. It's the worst territory in the world.